Well, good morning, Grumlaw Church. We are so glad that you are joining us for our online service this week as we continue in our series called Names, where we have been looking at a passage of scripture from Isaiah 9 and looking at the names of Jesus. And if you've missed any of the messages in this series, I'd love to encourage you. Uh, as always, you can go to grumlaw.com slash messages and you can get caught up uh, with all the messages that you have missed. Uh, this has been such a great series. I just want to encourage you uh, to go there and check out those messages. Well, today, we're going to be talking about the name for Jesus, Everlasting Father. And, and I think the idea of no beginning and end is a hard concept for us to understand. It's a hard concept for us to comprehend uh, with our human brains because everything has a beginning and an end. I mean, think about it this way. Um, our lives have a beginning and an end. We have a specific day and time where we began to exist on this earth. And we will all have a specific day and time where our time on earth will end. Everything has a beginning and an end. And that's how our mind works. We really see time in a linear way. Everything we experience in our life has a beginning and end. Our relationships have a beginning and end. Maybe it's with our grandparents who get older and end up passing away and that relationship here on earth ends. Or maybe it's a friend that we had in elementary school or middle school that we just lose touch with and those relationships come to an end. Our careers come to an end. Our days even come to an end. And so time as we look at it and life is linear in the way that we see it. But God doesn't operate in time the same way that we do. He is the creator of time. He existed before time. And what I want us to do today is really take a historical look at our main passage from Isaiah 9. And I want to see what was happening in the world when Isaiah delivered these words to the people. And I think if we see the context of what was happening, then it will help us apply this to our lives today as well. And so when we look at Isaiah, the name Isaiah actually means salvation of Jehovah. That's literally what his name means, salvation of Jehovah. And so it's no surprise that Isaiah would be delivering this news from God, that God would one day send a Messiah, that he would send a savior. So Isaiah, salvation of Jehovah. And he was a prophet, which we've talked about during the series. A prophet was just a person that, that spoke for God. God would speak through uh, these people to speak to the Israelite people, to deliver messages to him. And he was a prophet around 700 BC, which would have been 700 years before Jesus was on the earth. And he, he prophesied, he taught a lot to the northern kingdom of Israel. If you remember at this time, uh, the nation of Israel was split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And, and so the northern kingdom of Israel, they had had just one bad king after another, and they had fallen into sin. They had fallen away from God. And Isaiah teaches a lot and warns about a lot about things like idolatry. So putting other gods or other things before God and injustice. But very few people listen to him and very few people follow what he is saying. So Isaiah even looks far into the future when, when God is going to send this Messiah, which is where we get our theme verse for this series, which is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And we're going to read this verse a couple different times today. But Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says this, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
And as a reminder, these names are, are not proper names for Jesus, but rather they are descriptive of who Jesus would be. They're descriptive of his character and what his personality will be 700 years later when he is on the earth. And so to help, help us gain a, a better understanding, I want us to take a little bit of a, a step back and, and take a look at not just what this means in Jesus' time when he was on the earth, but also for the people who were living in the time of Isaiah. Now, if you're reading through the entire book of Isaiah, you would see these cycles that happen throughout the book. And they're very specific cycles that happen throughout the history of the Israelite people. And as we read the stories in the Old Testament and the stories of the Israelites, we see this cycle happen over and over again. And here's what this cycle looks like. The people would enter into sin and then there would be judgment and then there would be restoration. So this is a cycle that repeats over and over and over again. And just to explain that a little bit further, uh, the Israelite people would, they would begin to fall away from God. They'd begin to, to not follow the law that he had given, whether they were led astray by a, a king or, or they just began to forget what God had done for them, how he had been faithful, and they started to not live for him. So they would fall into sin. When that would happen, eventually God would get uh, tired of not being first in their lives. And so then that's when we'd move into the judgment portion of this cycle. And it was at this time that, that God would kind of remove his hand of, of blessing and protection from the people. And this is when they would maybe lose battles or lose wars or another nation would overthrow God's people. So that's what would happen during judgment. And then eventually the, the Israelite people would realize uh, what they were doing. They would realize that they had fallen away from God. They would realize that they had let sin into their lives and that they wanted to recommit themselves to God. And so they would confess and recommit them, commit themselves. And that is when God would bring restoration and he would restore his people. And so this cycle would just repeat over and over and over again throughout the history of Israel. And the book of Isaiah actually takes us through seven of these cycles, seven cycles of sin, judgment, and restoration. Now, if we step back one chapter to Isaiah chapter eight, we would read that Isaiah was giving the, the Israelites a warning. He was warning them that the Assyrians, the nation of Assyria, who was one of the most powerful nations at that time, were going to attack from the north. Uh, they lived north of Israel, and so they were going to come down from the north through the northern kingdom of Israel, and they were going to attack, and they were going to overthrow Israel. And so as we jump into Isaiah chapter 9, which is our main passage for this series, that is what is happening in, in the life of the Israelites. So in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, it says this. It says, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair, the time of darkness and despair that Isaiah is talking about is the Assyrians coming to overthrow the nation of Israel. That time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. And I think sometimes when we read passages like this, we might read a line like the land of Zebulun and Naphtali and think, I, I don't know what that means, so I'm just going to move on and keep reading. Or even uh, Galilee of the Gentiles, what exactly does that mean? I'm just going to keep going. But it's so important that we understand these little parts of scripture, that we understand the context. You may remember that when the Israelites first came into the promised land, when Joshua led them into the promised land, that there were 12 tribes of Israel. 
And when they came into the promised land, each one of the tribes was given a portion of the promised land as their inheritance. It's the place where they would live. It was the inheritance for being God's chosen people. Zebulun and Naphtali uh, are two of those 12 tribes. And they lived in the northern part of Israel, which was called Galilee and close to the Sea of Galilee. And so when Isaiah is saying that the Assyrians are going to come, he's saying they're going to come from the north and it's going to really impact these two tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali, because they are in the north. But he says that God is going to bring renewal to that area one day, that, that God is going to, to replace everything that has been taken away, that God is going to make it new again. And it's no surprise that most of Jesus' ministry when he comes to earth happens in Galilee happens around the Sea of Galilee. So every time he heals someone in Galilee, every time he preaches or teaches in Galilee, every time he shows love or mercy or grace in Galilee, he is fulfilling that prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. So let's continue reading in verse 2. It says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And I think the, the darkness is, is really represented in two different ways in this verse. First, it's the practical of, of what Isaiah is saying is about to happen to the Israelites, that the Assyrians are going to come and, and overthrow Israel. But the second part is, is the sin that the Israelites have been living in, the fact that they have turned away from God and the unfaithfulness of the people. So at this point, we're right in the middle of one of those cycles that we talked about that happened during the book of Isaiah of sin, judgment, and restoration. And we are right in the sin portion of that cycle. But Isaiah is saying in Isaiah chapter 8, he's communicating that they are getting ready to move into this judgment portion of the cycle when these Assyrians are going to invade Israel. But there's hope because God never forgets his people. He always had a plan to make things right. He always had a plan to bring his people back to him, which is what we read once again in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. Again, it says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. Another interesting line in, in that verse is the government will rest on his shoulders. What, what exactly does that mean? Because when we think of government, we think about what we know. We know our government. We know the governments of this world, the governments of this earth. And so that can cause some confusion. And it caused confusion for the people of Israel as well. Because they, they expected a great earthly king, maybe like some of their great kings of the past, like, like David and Solomon. They expected that the Jewish government would be on uh, their Messiah's shoulders, that he would come to overthrow nations like Assyria or nations like uh, the Roman Empire, who when Jesus was on earth was the most powerful nation. But Jesus was going to bring a completely different kind of government a government unlike any this world had ever seen. And I love what a uh, Christian writer and author, Gail Irwin, writes about the government that God promises. And I'm just gonna read his words to you because he says it so much better than I could say it myself. He says, what might such a government look like? First of all, it would look like it's king. Politicians of this day look for what they can get from you. Jesus looks for what he can do for you. Leaders of this day surround themselves with servants. Jesus surrounds us with his servanthood. 
Leaders of this day use their powers to build their empire. Jesus uses his power to wash our feet and to make us clean. Leaders of this day trade their influence for money. God so loved the world that he gave. Generals of this day need regular wars to keep their weapons and skills up to date and ensure their own advancement. Jesus brings peace and rest to hearts. The higher the plane of importance one reaches in this world, the more inaccessible he becomes. But Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. Leaders of this day are desperate to be seen and heard. Jesus sought anonymity so he could be useful. He continues by saying, obviously Jesus is not in charge of the halls of Washington, London, Moscow, Baghdad, or Paris. So how could we ever believe that the government will be upon his shoulders? Actually, his government shows it's working in wonderful ways. Whenever I see someone who miraculously leaves a life of drugs or alcohol and is restored to his family and work, I can see that he is governed by God. He says that whenever I see loving Christians gently caring for orphans and those rejected by family, I know I am watching people governed by God. Whenever I see people eagerly learning the Bible and joyously praising, I know who the governor is. Whenever I see people give up lucrative careers simply to go and share the good news of Jesus, I know they are governed by God. When I see pastors carefully teach and lead the flock that God has given them, I know they are getting signals from the great king. And finally, he says, when I see people leave family to live and teach in distant lands because they love the people who have not heard, I know that they are governed by God. The government in Isaiah 9-6 is unlike any government this world has seen. We think of, of earthly governments, maybe like the, the democracy in which we live in or, or the governments that we see around the world and maybe that Jesus is going to be president or king. But his government is so different. A world governed by God is a world where people show the love that God has so generously shown th to us through Jesus it's a government that is ruled by the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace. So our main goal for today is understanding this name for Jesus, everlasting father. So I want us to dive into this name and kind of break it down a little bit, everlasting father. In the original Hebrew language, the original language of the Old Testament, the, the word for everlasting father is aviad. Aviad means everlasting father. And we can break that name down even further. The first part, Avi, means father. And Ad means everlasting. Aviad. Another way to translate it in English is father of eternity. It just means that Jesus had no beginning and he will have no end. And in this, this word that's used for everlasting father, the word ever, everlasting is actually a noun in Hebrew. It's not an adjective. It's not a descriptive word. It's a noun. So maybe a better way to say it is the everlasting. And it's a really difficult concept to grasp. If, you, if you've grown up in church, I'm sure that, that you've heard that uh, Jesus is everlasting or he's the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and the omega. You probably heard it a million times if you grew up in church. But have you ever tried to just stop and think about that for a second? Have you ever just tried to stop and wrap your mind around the fact that God has no beginning? that he has just always existed. I think there are times in life when we try to fit God into a box, we try to make him smaller so that we can better understand him with our human minds. 
but we can think all the way back and imagine the beginning or the creation of the world at the very beginning of the Bible. And we can think back and think, okay, that's when God created the heavens and the earth. That's when everything began. That's when God began because that's when the Bible began. But God existed even before that. And trying to wrap our brains around that, for me, I know it can like wrap my brain in a pretzel and literally give me a headache. It is hard to comprehend the fact that God has no beginning. And I think there are some examples from, from our world of things that are considered to be forever or everlasting that really aren't. Have you guys, do you remember the candy called Gobstoppers? The candy, do you know the full name for Gobstoppers was called Everlasting Gobstoppers? And I think really the only thing these things were good for were everlasting toothaches, really. Because if you tried to eat one of these and you tried to bite into one of them, it certainly would break your teeth. And so the thing was, you put it in your mouth, you kept it in your mouth for a while. Eventually, it would get smaller and softer and you could bite into it. But it's not everlasting. It lasts for a while, but it's not something that lasts forever. Another example for, for myself as a guy that's from Columbus, Ohio, and is a huge fan of the Ohio State Buckeyes, there was a point in time where I thought our win streak over Michigan was going to be an everlasting win streak. I honestly thought it was going to be an eternal win streak, but finally this year that ended. And so nothing here on earth is everlasting. Nothing is eternal, but Jesus is everlasting. He is eternal and he has no beginning and no end. So how about the second part of this name, of everlasting father? That idea of Jesus being father. And I know for some that might be listening today, that, that might be a tough one to understand. Depending on your, your personal experience with your earthly father, if your experience maybe wasn't the greatest, if, if your father, if your dad wasn't always there for you, if he wasn't always the most loving, if he wasn't always the most car- caring, if he, if he let you down in some way, you may think, why would I want a, 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 a heavenly father when my earthly father failed me so much? Well, I hope by explaining that you'll see that, that Jesus as our everlasting father is loving and kind and he's good and he doesn't let us down and he is always with us. Now, I think one thing that we need to make sure we understand here is when we say everlasting father, we are not talking about God the Father, the first person in the Trinity. The Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We are not speaking of God the Father here. These are, from Isaiah 9-6, descriptive names of Jesus, of God the Son. And that's really important for us to understand. The idea is that Jesus is the source or the author of all eternity. That, that he is the creator himself. He is the father of eternity. He is the father of creation. And I want us to take a look at what Paul says in the New Testament about Jesus as the father of creation in Colossians chapter one, verse 16. And it says this, for through him, and when it says him in this verse, it's talking about Jesus, for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms. And on earth, he made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. So Jesus is our everlasting father, the father of eternity and the father of creation. So what does that mean for us today? What does it mean for our lives? Does it mean anything for our lives? Well, I think the verse that we've already read, Isaiah 9 verse 2, gives us that answer. It said, for those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. That light that, that shines for us is Jesus. 
our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, and our prince of peace. And I think darkness probably looks different in each one of our lives. We all are facing different types of darkness. For some of us, maybe just seeing the world around us, just the unrest and the division that we see in our world today, maybe that's the darkness that you're experiencing. Maybe, maybe for some of you, the darkness that you're experiencing is related to your health. Maybe you got some, some bad news from your doctor that you weren't hoping to hear. Or maybe there is sickness or something that you've been fighting through that you just, you just can't seem to win the battle. Or maybe for you, the darkness is your financial issues that you're facing. Maybe some unfortunate financial decisions or maybe some circumstances that are out of control have put you in a financial hole that you've been trying to dig and claw out of, but you just can't seem to do it. Maybe right now your marriage is the darkness that you're living in. Maybe it just feels like your marriage is falling apart and that there's just no hope. Maybe it's other relationships with family members or friends, or maybe there's things going on in your, your kid's life that you want to help them, but you just don't know how to help them. There's so many different ways that we can face darkness in this world. But the promise that Isaiah made nearly 3,000 years ago at this point, that there would be light in the darkness, that there would be an end to the darkness, it was fulfilled in Jesus and the light of Jesus wasn't only meant for the people living in Isaiah's time or the people who lived when Jesus was here on the earth. The light of Jesus is meant for us as well. That's why his government is different. It knows no end. He is our everlasting father. Let's take a look at what Isaiah said later in his book in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. He said, have you never heard? Have you never understood the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. And it feels like Isaiah is saying here, guys, we've been through this. How do you still not understand this? We have talked about Jesus being our everlasting father. We have talked about who Jesus is. How do you not comprehend this yet? It reminds me of like when my wife sends me to the store uh, to, to buy several things. And if she has three items she wants me to pick up, like every time I'll get two and I'll forget one of them. Or she'll send me for five and I'll only get three. It happens every single time. And she's like, how are we still doing this? How are you still messing this up? Like write these down or something when you go. And it's like Isaiah is saying, how are you guys not getting this? How are you not figuring it out? And what Isaiah is saying is, you're missing out on a huge part of who God is. We, we try to walk through the darkness on our own. We try to figure out our messes and fix them on our own. We get stressed, we get frustrated, which leads us to make bad decisions. We negatively impact our relationship. When Isaiah is saying, not just to the people of his time, but to us, guys, listen to what I have been telling you. We have an everlasting God, the father of eternity that is bigger than time and creation itself. And he's never weak. He's always strong and he's never tired. Uh, on top of that, we can't even begin to grasp his understanding of the universe. So why would we rely on our own strength? Why wouldn't we trust our everlasting father? Why wouldn't we lean on the father of eternity? He created it all. He has seen it all. And he was there before it all existed. Our troubles, our, our frustrations, our, our darkness, is no surprise to him. It doesn't catch him off guard. He saw it coming. 
That's why 2,000 years ago, he sent Jesus to bring light into the world. He knew exactly what we were going to need. That's why 700 years, even before that, he, he spoke through Isaiah. And he spoke through Isaiah to tell his people that he is going to bring light to the darkness. So this Christmas season, the Christmas season that can bring up so many emotions for people for different reasons, because of the darkness that we're walking through, because of the darkness that we've walked through in the past, are you willing to trust our everlasting Father? Are you willing to, to hand over the burden that you are carrying to our Father of eternity? Because He is the one who never grows weary and never grows weak. And here's the really, really great news. The, the everlasting life that Jesus has, that is an offer for all of us. He offers each one of us everlasting life. In John 3, 16, it says this. It says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That offer of everlasting life is for everyone. It says everyone who believes, every single person, in spite of your past, in spite of your failures, in spite of your mess ups, whatever darkness you're currently walking through, Jesus is the light and he is offering you everlasting life. And if you've never taken that step to place your faith in Jesus, today can be that day. And it's a really simple process. All you have to do is talk to him. Just say a prayer, which is just a conversation with Jesus. And just tell him that you know that you've messed up. You know that you've sinned. You know that you've fallen short, but you believe that he came to earth and gave his life for you for, the, for forgiveness of your sins and for salvation. And so I'm gonna pray for us. And, and as I do, if, if you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. Thank you that you are the father of eternity, that you see all things that you knew 2,000 years ago exactly, not just what people then needed, but what we would need today. Thank you for sending Jesus as our light. If there's anyone who's listening or watching this message today and they want to take that next step with you, that they would just say this simple prayer, God, I know that I've sinned. I know that I've fallen short of you. Jesus, I know that you came to earth and gave your life for me. And I want to give my life to you as my Lord and Savior. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you made that decision today to follow Jesus, to give your life to Jesus, uh, we would love to walk alongside you with that. And we would love to help you take your next steps. So you can text GLTRUST to 94000 and we'll get a hold of you. And we would love to, like I said, walk alongside you and help you take your next steps with Jesus.